Crime family. How's it going? We are back with another episode for you guys. HWC and the house coming from the D. <laughs> I love, I like love to wait and see like the different like <laughs> rhymes that you do <laughs> in the beginning. <laughs> I, I feel like I got to come up with there. some new ones. I feel like I, I'm starting to be on repeat. I got to come up with some new, some new things. Gotta sit down in the studio, come up with some new rhymes. Sorry, you guys weren't, you know, with us when we were busting out the We Are the World. Put the headphones on, man, and it just takes over. Have Did we ever do that, actually, while recording? I don't think so. We didn't want to lose no. followers before we got Yeah, on. that was probably smart of us. Summer on video, you got me doing Snoop Dogg. I do have that. I have that um, to use one day. I don't know when I'll use it, but it's there. So I don't even remember what song it was. Actually, I don't either, but I'm totally going to listen to it after we finish this because now I want to know. <laughs> that had to be like two years ago. We should have like a, a following set. If we get to a certain amount of followers, I'll release that audio for all of you guys to hear. Oh, crap. (laughs) Well, this week we're back with another story that we're going to do. I know if you guys didn't go back and listen to Tina's story, it was the past three episodes. Um, It was such a great story. Tina told it so beautifully. So if you guys haven't listened to that, go back and check that out for sure. Don't want to miss that one. It's over and it sounds kind of funny, but it's weird because I feel like a little piece of me is like missing now. Like, I know. Like, I'm like, oh, like, like what do we know. do now? Right? I'm like, oh my gosh, we're back to like the huge. <laughs> we'll wait six months and we'll do, we'll see if we can get her back for a follow up episode, see where her life is now. Oh, I love that idea. That's perfect. We just got to get Tina to be okay with it. <laughs> right. Hopefully hopefully she'll be down. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this week we're just going to jump back in to another story. This one is called Prison Pen Pals. <laughs> I am very intrigued. I saw the title. Um, Crystal took the reins on this one. This was her research and idea so i'm gonna just sit back and enjoy the ride with y'all yes get ready um i personally have never had a prison pen pal not sure about you but um apparently a lot of people have them and this this story is kind of um a little bit of a crazy example of one (laughs) okay yeah no i haven't had one not since sophomore year of high school i really hope you're kidding i am (laughs) I was supposed to be like, oh, you poor thing. (laughs) All right, so we will jump right into it. So on September 5th, 2008, San Diego police received a 911 call from a resident reporting a dead body inside a large ornamental concrete egg in his garden. He had cracked the orb open with a sledgehammer. When I, like, first heard that, like, opening thing, I'm like, how, how is there a dead body inside of one of those things? Like, it has to be ginormous for there to be a body fit inside of them. 
Like, do you know what they're talking about? One of those eggs? Have you seen those before? Like the pod things like that people want to be buried in? No, it's like, it's like almost a decorative looking egg kind of a thing. I'll Google it later. Yeah, but, but this one apparently. Obviously was... it's clearer if you saw the body then, right? Yeah, like apparently this one was huge um, because it fit this body inside of it. Okay. So Jim Peters, who was an investigator with Riverside County Sheriff's Department, he said, I've seen my fair share of dead people in weird places, but this is a first. An autopsy conducted the next day showed that the mummified male victim had been bent and bound into the fetal position. He had a belt around his neck. Um, so, you know, first things first, the police had to do. They had to figure out who this guy was and how the heck he got inside of that egg. So the answer, it was tied to a case that was happening in Riverside County, which was about 90 miles away in Hemet, California, where an 80-year-old man named Edward Andrews lived. So it wasn't Jimmy Hoffa. No, so sorry to disappoint. <laughs> Could you imagine if that was like they finally found him in an egg? In an ornament? Oh, the that would, that would be iconic, honestly. Actually. <laughs> like, honestly, what a like way to go. <laughs> yeah, all-time mobster found in an ornament egg. <laughs> that would be pretty sick. <laughs> but in his younger days... Um, Andrews, who worked for an oil company, he had married his high school sweetheart and they raised four children together. But then in 1968, the couple did end up splitting up and his daughter, Linda, said, that's when we pretty much discovered that my dad was gay. So kind of explains. Yeah, I know. (laughs) It kind of explains why they split up, obviously, you know, that usually (laughs) doesn't work out I don't think Um, but her brother said it took a lot of courage and he called their dad a wonderful human being and I get it you know that was so many years ago like it was so out of the norm to like you know come out as gay especially like to be married to a woman and then to like end your marriage and you have kids together and announce this huge secret about you i can't imagine that that was easy for him so before caitlin jenner made it cool yeah exactly (laughs) yeah it was before it was like trendy (laughs) but in the spring of 2008 um his daughter and her husband they bought a home in hemet to be close to her dad who was you know getting older she just wanted to be near him as he was Reaching the end of his life. Um, But soon after, on June 4th, Andrew's neighbor called and he said that he couldn't get in touch with him. So his daughter contacted the Riverside County Sheriff's Department to file a missing persons report. The neighbor saw him on May 31st and now it's June uh, June 4th. So it's been, you know, a few days. He could have been missing for about five days. They were assuming that's kind of like the timeline they were going off of. 
And I think it's so sad when like older people go missing because I feel like a lot of times it's, you know, if they get confused and they wander off and they just don't know what's going on. I just think that that's always so, so sad. But um, so the sheriff stopped by his house to make a wellness check and they didn't find anything strange, you know, at his home. There was nothing like crazy going on. It didn't look like anybody broke in. It didn't look like anything had been stolen. Anything had been touched. So, you know, they just didn't know where Edward was. Now, his neighbors, the Grams, however, they had key information. They recalled that Edward's friend, Jeffrey Sterling, um, he was being dropped off at 8 a.m. in a white car at the residence on May 31st. And around noon, they saw Edward leave in his silvered Saturn. So they were kind of like the last people to see him around noon on that day. So officials obviously tried to get in touch with um, Jeffrey Sterling because clearly he was at his house. So he probably had a lot more information. But trying to get in contact with Jeffrey, they were unsuccessful. So the next day on June 5th, the Grams, they came to the Hemet station with a letter that they received that day in the mail. In it, Edward allegedly wrote that he and Jeffrey Sterling were very much in love and they were going to Europe and South Africa. Um, and the letter was riddled with like grammar and spelling errors, which I feel like in my mind, just from watching movies, I'm like, oh, that's a code. Like, he's leaving a code in there or something. Now, Jeffrey Sterling, he kind of obviously becomes the centerpiece in this case. He's, like, the main focus because he was the last person with Edward and they can't get in contact with him. And then this mysterious letter comes from Edward saying, you know, me and Jeffrey are in love and we're flying off to Europe together. So detectives and Edward's family believed that the letter was fake. You know, they didn't think that their dad would just like run off, especially in his older age. They really didn't believe that he would leave his family and his life behind just to like fly off to Europe with this guy that they didn't know. Um, but yeah, Peter said that nonetheless, Jeffrey definitely became the focus of the case. Now, investigators returned to Edward's home just to keep looking around, um, see if they could find more information. And while they were there, they did find the telephone answering machine and it was flashing. Um, a surgeon named Dean Spivaki uh, with Riverside County Sheriff's Homicide Unit um, said that he was the one that found it. And one message was from a bank, which was checking on a recent transaction. There were more messages, including a forceful one about money and instructing Edward to check his mail. So... Obviously, that kind of raised some red flags for them. Like, for one, the bank calling about a recent transaction, that could be, like, hit or miss. You know, it could be normal, could be kind of weird out of the ordinary. But the forceful one kind of, like, 
you know, pushing him to go check his mail, that kind of made them uh, second guess and question things. So investigators discovered that Andrews, he had a P.O. box. And at this point, the Inland Regional Apprehension Team, which um, that's kind of like made of officers within the FBI, they got involved at this point. And uh, Dean Spivaki, he says that they're literally bloodhounds. So they're like no joke when it comes to investigating. We will find you. Right? I guess if you guys really need some good investigating, you got to call IRAT. <laughs> or what was that one? We did a story. Shit. I know what you're talking about. Um, yes, Anonymous, the online group. Yes. Yeah, yeah. There's another one you don't mess out with. No. They are definitely not ones to mess with. So... As they were kind of, like, looking into his mail and, like, his P.O. box and they were investigating things, they discovered that Edward was a pen pal with different inmates. So the P.O. box contained numerous letters from people at California Correctional Institutions. Dean Sp Spivaki says Ed has been corresponding with these inmates and he added that correspondence included financial information. So I don't know if he was like playing like sugar daddy for them or what was going on. But he was definitely giving them financial information in these letters. Now, Edward had been a Methodist pastor and he seemingly tried to give the inmates I guess as they looked further into it, he was trying to give them, like, some guidance. But he also had put himself in the path of a potential predator, which I feel like is kind of – I mean, what do you expect if you're going to be, like, writing email chains and letters back – not email, mail chains and letters back and forth with all these inmates and, like, presenting them with different, like, financial information? I feel like that's definitely going to – possibly put you in a dangerous spot well you think it would raise some flags too because i mean you would think in prison they kind of like stuff coming in they really scope it out you know what i mean like you're taking a chance at getting in the wrong eyes looking at that yeah that's what i'm thinking and it's kind of odd too that they i mean i don't know the extent of the letters they weren't like I don't know if they're like released out there or whatever, but you would think they wouldn't allow that kind of stuff to be sent in the mail to these inmates, like with somebody else's like financial information. But I mean, who knows? I guess I'm not exactly sure how that works within the system, but that just seems kind of sketchy to me. Now, on June 22nd, Detectives learned from IRAT that $92,000 had been withdrawn from Edwards' bank account. And there was 80 ATM footage captured. Um, and it, there was like this unidentified man arriving at the bank in a white Prius. And he was taking money out of Edwards' account. Surprise! <laughs> right? <laughs> Raise your hand if you didn't see it coming. <laughs> 
So detectives, they put out a press release with a photo of the man at the bank just to generate, you know, any leads that they could find. And upon seeing the photo, the neighbors, so um, Edward's old neighbors, the Grams, they said that that man was Jeffrey Sterling. So like, ding, 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 they found you. He's not in Europe <laughs> with uh, Edward. He's taking money out of his bank account. <laughs> so plot twist, Jeffrey Sterling was a fake name. He was really a fugitive named Thomas Brooks. Yep, didn't see that coming either. <laughs> so Edward's daughter and her husband they informed investigators that her father had left letters and photos in her home in Hemet. And the evidence, I guess, that they found revealed that Sterling was actually Thomas Jeffrey Brooks, who had a criminal history and had been incarcerated. And the letters between Edward and Brooks, they began, you know, normal and like polite. But they started to grow more personal over time as they just kept writing letters back and forth. So Brooks was released in 2007. And at that point, he basically went on like house arrest, like home confinement instead of reporting to a halfway house. And in August, IRAT observed activity using Edward's account in San Diego. And officials managed to take Brooks into custody along with the man who had driven him to the bank. So he had an accomplice with him. Um, and when investigators asked Brooks how he knew Edward, Brooks can be heard um, in – they have the recorded interview. He says, he started writing to him in prison. You already know that. And ultimately, he admits that Ed is dead, said Dean Sp Spivaki. So when they asked him how – Edward died, Brooks said, probably from lack of air. So, like, he's just full out insinuating that he strangled him. But Brooks wouldn't say where Edward's body was. Um, he, like, wouldn't give up any more information after, you know, saying all these vague statements. And he wouldn't tell them anything else. And he just wanted a lawyer at that point. So detectives then questioned the guy who was driving Brooks when he went to the bank. Um, and this guy's name was Arlo Ilazarars. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but we're just going to call him Arlo. Um, but he knew Brooks by the name of Josh Myers. So Brooks has like three different aliases. Nobody knows <laughs> what this guy's actual name is. He said he didn't know anything about what was going on. Um... And he was just released the same day that Brooks was. So he was just kind of going along for the ride. Um, but he claims that he knew nothing about what was happening. But I think that's totally false. Like, unless he's just like, I'll give you some money if you drive me, but don't ask any questions. That's the only reason I think he would not know anything. Yeah, I, mean, I don't even know if this guy even knows what his real name is himself because he used so many. I know. it's. <laughs> We've had, like, a few like that where just they go by, like, 
four different names. But once detectives got uh, that information, they ended up searching Brooks's apartment in San Diego. And the landlord, Ben Mason, he also knew Brooks as under the name Josh Myers. So they had no idea what he was talking about. Like when they called him Brooks, he didn't know. But investigators found that Edward's license and credit cards were also in his apartment as well as um, a computer setup for printing checks. So he was just going all out on his stuff. And in addition to fraud and theft, Brooks was charged with first-degree murder, a special circumstance of financial gain, and Brooks was eligible for the death penalty. So on August 13th, prosecutors prepared to bring Brooks to trial. There definitely was clear evidence of fraud and theft because Obviously, they saw him at the ATM and they found um, Edward's cards and license and checks all inside of his apartment. But as far as the first degree murder charge, you know, Edward's body hadn't been found and they didn't have too much to go off of with that. Um, investigator Dean says no body homicides are really difficult to prosecute we knew that edward was dead but we didn't know for sure how he died or where his body was now reports of the andrews case started to make the news and they kind of included that Brooks may have taken nearly $100,000 from Edward's account. Um, and this comes from Paul Conley, who was a detective with San Diego. And on the 5th of September, San Diego PD, they did get the 911 call about a dead body, like we talked about in the beginning, in this concrete egg. So the homeowner who made the call was actually Brooks's landlord. Hmm. So he was right there all along. Um, detectives learned that in June of 2008, Brooks had offered to put in a rock garden at his landlord Mason's home for kind of you know, a deal in rent, like, I'll I'll give you a rock garden if you kind of cut my rent down a little bit. So the installation included uh, a giant oval made out of chicken wire and cement. After hearing news accounts about Brooks and the missing fortune, his landlord, Mason, broke open the massive egg in search of the hidden fortune, which I don't... I don't know why he would put it in there or, like, why he would think to put it in there. But the the money wasn't there. Uh, the money has never been found since. But instead, he found uh, – he still found something. He found the decomposing body posed in the fetal position 
which later through DNA was confirmed to be Edward Andrews. And the cause of death was asphyxiation. So he wasn't kidding when he said that, you know, he probably died because, what did he say? He couldn't breathe or something like that. So he strangled him, put him in the fetal position, and then put his body in this giant egg thing that he was building. So then investigators interviewed Arlo, the driver again, the one that said he had no idea what was going on. And he told them that he responded to Brooks through Craigslist. He had, I guess, put out an ad for needing a driver and he was short on cash. So he just thought, okay, sure, I'll drive this guy around. And that's why he says he has no idea what was even happening. Detectives theorized that Brooks strangled Edward at his apartment in San Diego after binding Edward in a fetal position and stuffing him into a large plastic tub. They believed that Arlo helped load the container into a car and drove to Mason's home. We learned that Arlo helped construct this egg with Brooks, said Conley. Um... Arlo then was charged with being an accessory to murder. So he definitely knew what was going on and he was fully a part of it. He was offered a plea deal in exchange for testimony against Brooks, um, which he definitely took. You know, he wasn't going to pass up on that. So finally, in March of 2010, Arlo was sentenced to nine years in prison. And as Brooks's trial approached. He attempted to kill himself while behind bars, but um, he, at 40 years old, he survived and then he was ultimately convicted and sentenced to 75 years to life in prison. So poor Edward, but I'm glad that, you know, they figured out who it was, um, but still just really sad. I don't know. And at least, you know, he lived out most of his life. So he, he was an older guy. At least he got to live out most of his life, but still just a really sad way to go. And for his family, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, that came from um, Oxygen True Crime. Whoop, whoop. So shout out to them. So before we go, um, just a little bit of a, a weird update. Um, so going back to my dreams... <laughs> So I had another one last night. Oh my god! And this time it was a blonde lady, old lady. Again, don't know the face. Um, it almost reminded me of like the face is almost like just an old, almost like ET when you put the blonde wig on. Scary. It was weird. It was weird, but I mean, it wasn't like like an alien face. It was just, but that's like the hair was just kind of like long and blonde, and it just feel like it was like an old person yeah and it was on my husband's side of the bed I was laying facing him although he wasn't there because he's out of town and she said something but I it was so fast and like it I jolted up and then I remember something and it was something about the necklace I was wearing and I'm like I gotta get it off then and I totally forgot about it, 
Well, before me and Crystal went to record tonight, I walked over to my nightstand to grab my charger and my necklace is on the nightstand. I took it off in the middle of the night in my dream and I put it on the nightstand and it's still there. <gasps> Weird. Does the what is the necklace? Does it have like it's a rose quartz like um like rose quartz stone which is usually like a protection or it's like for love kindness like. yeah that's weird why would they want do you think the thing was evil and it wanted you to take it off like so no you weren't idea. protected but i took it off in my dream so like i was asleep when i took it off and it must have tossed it on the nightstand and i totally forgot about it didn't even realize i wasn't wearing it at work today and i went to grab my charger and i'm like oh my god and then it all came back to me i'm like I took it off in the middle of the night. That is so But that's weird. how much of a sleep I was. Why if, I did it. If you guys haven't been following every episode with us, um, you may not have heard about these crazy <laughs> I don't know if they're dreams or interactions that Lo has had, but there are just like people that like pop up in her face in the middle of the night. And I'm truly horrified for you. So it's so, so bizarre. Like, what is the meaning behind it? I don't know. But um, me and my cousin Lisa, Saturday, we met up at Northville and Plymouth. Shout out to the listeners there. And we went shopping downtown. And they had, like, a skeleton fest where all the skeletons were out. And, you know, oh, cute. The stores. And she took me to her favorite store in Plymouth um, called Earthlore. Um, a lot of people seem to like it. I mentioned it to people and they're like, oh my God, that store. Um, they actually have, it's on my social. It's $3,500, but it's like a four foot tall, like amethyst. It's so cool looking. Oh, sweet. Um, but I don't have $3,500. But, right. you know, if I had money to waste, I would so get it and put it in the corner of my room yeah that would be sick oh my gosh that's just my thirty five hundred dollar amethyst don't mind that no big deal <laughs> uh kids dust my amethyst hello <laughs> you'll get some allowance <laughs> i mean let's not get hasty okay they can do it just to do it okay they can do it just for the respect of doing it <laughs> yeah as they should yeah <gasps> Oh, let's see if we can let's see. Oh my gosh, that's very pretty. That's yeah. super cool. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so I went into that store looking at some stuff, and you probably can't see right now, but I have the red, white, and black candles burning. Perfect. And I have a little skeleton tray that was super cute that I bought. Um, so I went back to light the the protection candles while we did our story today good oh man um, so going back keep to those the... keep those dream things away from you yeah I, good. I don't know what's wrong with me i mean i had one the other night about slim shady um i feel like me and marshall mathers are like spiritually entwined now um it makes sense <laughs> i don't know why that one's not i didn't wake up and find eminem sitting at my nightstand i mean unfortunately so, yeah, that, that's been kind of crazy, too, because I, 
like I said, I listened, I was listening to Rap God and then I watched Eight Mile and then I had a dream that we like made out and stuff. I mean, oh. I already confessed it to my husband. I told him I dream cheated, you know, whatever, get over it. And then <laughs> he's been popping up on my Google feed. And then he popped up on Facebook saying he was here in Detroit with his daughter at the Lions game. Yep, I, I feel that. like I feel like I brought him to Detroit, people. You're welcome. Yeah. I, f- I feel like we're, we're spiritually connected. He doesn't know why he wanted to come to this game, but he felt the need to come to Detroit. And it was probably because of the dream that we had of us making out. Um, it like, it just mentally led him there, even though he doesn't know. He's not aware of it yet. <laughs> Sorry, Haley. I might be your new mommy. Okay. Just... <laughs> I joke, I joke, I joke, I joke. So I uh, didn't know you had a thing for Eminem. I mean, he's not horrible looking. No, he's gotten better. I like the dark beard Eminem. Yeah, same. Yeah. That definitely makes a difference. Yeah. So, yep, that's my little crazy uh, wild ride I wanted to share with you guys. Um, tune in next week to see what the next dream brings. Cause... I know we have to have like a segment: dream, uh, dreams with low. <laughs> You're all about seriously. All crazy or dreams. if anybody is in a dream specialist that knows about dreams or specializes in it, if you're a doctor, psychiatrist, anyone that has like a lot of knowledge on it, email me. We'll put you on the show, and we can talk all crazy dreams, and you can break it down for us. That'd be so fun. They could dissect everything that's going on. Me, I like barely ever remember my dreams. Yeah. So I don't know if I blocked them out or what, but I have a few that I'm always like, they'll always be there. <laughs> They're traumatizing. Well, once I start levitating, I'm out. Remove yeah, me. that's too much. And I will never go back over there. So don't even tell me if that happens. <laughs> okay. But yeah, so that's our our crazy, crazy night, crazy story, crazy dreams. Um, We'll tune in next week where you can listen to me and KK brag about our night at the Aries tour at MJR we're going to on Friday. Yeah, you guys will hear the update about how that went. So stay tuned. I'm super excited for it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, until next time, guys. Stay safe out there. And we got to go. Stay creepy. Bye. Bye.